0: Hello and welcome to the Pinnacle Podcast, brought to you by Pinnacle.com, the online bookmaker that offers you low margins, high limits and a unique winner's welcome policy. We've had a bit of a break in our esports special, but I can tell you that it will be worth the wait. Today I'm joined by one of the biggest names in the CSGO scene. He's primarily known as a caster, but as I'm sure we'll find out today, there's much more to him than that. Welcome to the Pinnacle Podcast, James Bardolf. Now, unfortunately, due to technical reasons, we actually lost the first five minutes of my conversation with James. We did talk a little bit about what he's been up to recently, covering the Flashpoint League over in LA, but what we'll do is we'll pick up the conversation after I've asked him about how he got into esports and, and where his journey began. I used to
1: play Street Fighter Four on the European circuits and looking at Europe versus North America, North America had um, a lot more broadcasting and so on of their tournaments and we really didn't. And I felt like our players weren't getting the opportunities that they deserved for how good they were. So I started broadcasting um, the European circuit, essentially, um, or Street Fighter 4. And um, so I'd say that was my entry. I just kind of decided to become, I I filled a void in, in the broadcasting, which ended up, Going up to doing white label broadcasts for the people who made the game, um, from Paris to Kuwait, and at the same time, I think fighting games and Counter Strike were like my two, or I'd say arcade games because some of them were like racing games as well, like Daytona USA, which I, I can't uh, ignore. I used to love that as well. So all those things, um, I used to I used to love along with Counter Strike and. Uh, I approached some companies because I wanted to do commentary in Counter Strike and I got sent towards Face It where because I at that point had my own production company um so I could work individually. I had a I had a clear demonstration of a number of different skills. So they so they hired me to um to do all of them basically. I was doing production of League of Legends and Quake broadcasts and I had some Counter Strike broadcasts as well, but mainly I was um on the microphone for Counter Strike. So that was my um full-time entry into esports i'll say outside of that i was working in commercial real estate and selling offices in london and on the weekends i was uh flying around to sweden france spain germany wherever to uh broadcast street fighter stuff
0: so selling property by day and broadcasting esports by night
1: quite literally yeah there were times (laughs) where Um, I was going to the studio to do Counter-Strike stuff after work and uh, we had the North American broadcast there, so I was getting maybe two hours sleep a night and, uh, yeah, that was rough.
0: <laughs> and was there... So in that, when you had that kind of prof- professional split versus what you when you were first starting out with the broadcast stuff, were you could you speak to people about it at work? Did people know what you were doing? Did they understand what it was?
1: Yeah, they knew what I was doing. Um, they were very aware... Of what I was doing, but when I quit my normal job, they realised that I had taken more holidays. I think I'd taken something like forty or forty-five uh, holiday days in the last <laughs> calendar year. So I ended up getting uh, my last paycheck uh, days deducted from that for, for that reason. But no, they knew what I was doing and they were supportive of it. Um, it was re- it was really good actually. I was um, I was lucky to have that real estate job in the first place in a sense that um, I joined there as an IT pleb doing IT support. But um, I weaseled my way into a sales job and I learned about business there. Um, And my boss as well actually comes from the same kind of background. So understanding um, business is really helpful to work full-time at a company because there's a lot of people um, who work in esports who don't really have like... um, a background in business which can make things difficult when you're trying to get stuff done um, so yeah I was, I was fortunate to have those tools to take with me as well as doing my esports stuff so it was all very valuable
0: well that's what i was going to say that some people you speak to it's almost like they they were a fan of esports and they kind of then fell into fell into a job or a role within the the industry was it were you always so kind of business minded with the broadcast stuff or were were there those days where you were really like the hardcore fan and it was all about playing the games or, or did you always want to uh, go down that that broadcast route
1: no that was just pure passion that was basically a hobby i um i did that stuff for fun actually the um capcom did a promo for street fighter 4 when it was first coming out where it was a promo um with another gambling company where you could bet on an ex- exhibition match in running. Um and it was the first time that might have been the first time you could do that in in Western esports. Um and I basically I was broadcasting it for them from their from their office, which was um bang in the middle of Soho at the time. Um or their their PR company's office anyway. But um my payment for that was they bought me a, a capture card for streaming because they were going to pay me I was like why don't you just buy this because it will be cheaper that way because then you don't pay on the VAT and so on um it actually might be been easier for him to buy it for me rather than pay me money anyway but whatever um so it was just pure hobby it was just it was just because I could see like in North America people were getting sponsorship opportunities which was paying for them to go around to trips and so on and none of us had much money so that stuff is really important. Um, I wasn't one of the best players anyway, so that wasn't a big deal. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just like, I'm, you know, I'm an, IT, I'm an IT geek, basically. So I found it mentally stimulating to figure out all this stuff. And um, I think I have a, a good eye for production and, and good standards for myself as well. Um, in terms of like camera cuts and so on. So I just, I found it rewarding to do that. I found it mentally stimulating. So it was just pure, purely a hobby. But then, as the scene matured and things become more online than they used to be, um, because before before these games, you didn't have those online lobbies and so on and all these opportunities. So, it kind of, I was in in partly right in the right place at the right time. I was already doing all the biggest tournaments in Europe, and then Capcom decided they wanted to do a pro tour and have dependable um, people broadcasting in each each region so I, I became the one in Europe and then they had to because it was white label and I wasn't doing it myself um I had to uh we'll say well you gotta pay me then um and um for dream actually started the dream I used to um broadcast dream tournaments but I'd go there on my own dime and so on um but then eventually they said uh, oh we want you to broadcast it on the DreamHack channel we're gonna make a channel for it and I was like, that's cool well then you need to pay me for it and then you know so it started making money that way so DreamHack would pay me to do their tournaments and so on, and then the white label stuff. So it just, um, I, and, and that kind of necessitated the the need to create a company for it, to take all these payments in and so on. And then I was able to, to uh, reinvest that money into the company and go from streaming on a Mac mini to a 17-inch Mac laptop to streaming on a Mac Pro with five um, Sony cameras rather than webcams and so on. So it slowly just evolved and went up and up and uh, just went from there, really.
0: And then it's it's quite interesting to hear you say at the, the start or as you've developed it was Street Fighter and a bit of CS:GO. I think you mentioned League of Legends in there. So when when I've spoken to a few people, and this seems to be like a, a general sentiment from from fans and people involved in the industry, is there's there tends to be like a focus on one specific title. But would would you say you're kind of more you've got a breadth of titles that you're kind of expert level in in terms of both the business side and the the fan side of things?
1: I'd say. I wouldn't say there were, there were too many. Um, things like League of Legends, I was just broadcasting. So it was we did a a remote tournament. Well, we did a tournament in Gamescom, but we did the broadcast remotely from London, and uh, I I produced the broadcast, but I couldn't tell you anything about League of Legends. I've never played a moba in my life. Um, so for me, it was just it was just fighting games and Counter Strike for the most part. I mean there are there are games that I'll play here and there like I've played Overwatch. I got the gold hook with uh, Roadhog and then I kind of got disincentivized when they started nerfing him, so I haven't really played that too often. Um I've got 500 hours in TF2. Um I play a bit of Valorant, but um no, for the most part it's it's fighting games and and CS:GO is like where my passion is basically. But I do play other games on occasion, but not MOBAs because I just they they don't they don't appeal to me. No offense.
0: now if we talk a little bit about kind of what's changed within esports the esports industry what are your I mean unfortunately it's taken like the the COVID-19 situation to really kind of ramp up the the interest in esports from from a lot of people but even before that happened obviously the trajectory it was it was going through the roof it was soaring really high what are your thoughts on kind of how things have changed in say the past maybe two years 18 months or so
1: well it, it's um it's pretty wild i'd say it's getting more and more professional um there there are extreme ends of things it's 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 cool what like overwatch are doing in in one way although it does seem a, a little overpriced with all the the numbers that you see swirling around you know if it's successful long term then that's super cool um and we see the same thing with call of duty as well they're just these these massive buy-ins um for organizations that is um that's an interesting one in 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 where where that will go in the next like two or three years or when it when it's when all those um contracts are up for renewal if they will hold the same value or or what will happen with that so you know those are grabbing um all the, the the headlines at the moment not everybody agrees with the approach necessarily. I mean, ma- mainly in terms of overvalue, how are these people going to get their money back, and so on. With like twenty million um, buy-ins for a brand new league, which which isn't proven, that's a, a hell of a lot of money. Um, so, yeah. So, like, the, the, I, I suppose in some ways they are experiments. Like the home stands were about to start with Overwatch, but they've um, you know had to cancel all those. Uh, so, so that was. That's like a very long term case study to see how viable and sustainable that is, and maybe it is with the right games are they the right games though time will tell and I have to take more time now so so that's something which is um still still developing basically you can see they've gone from twitch to youtube so we had a we had a dip in um in rights being bought for the broadcast of competitive games up until uh, well, I'd say I'd say there's two different ones. There, one up until the the big Overwatch deal with Twitch, and I think that took so much money out of Twitch out of fear of that going to YouTube and maybe being a hit game that it uh, caused. There was a ripple effect with every other game based on how much money they invested into that one game. Um, but now we see that uh, YouTube have have paid for well, maybe more Call of Duty with uh, some Overwatch as well. Since I'd, I would say Call of Duty is a bigger game in terms of v- videos on YouTube itself. Um, but so we're seeing the rights come back now. We're seeing the rights bleed into to streamers themselves um, in a bigger way, with Mixer, uh, which isn't really esports, but um, but it's all I, I suppose. Yeah, it's all it's all very interesting in that regard. So I'd say that's a lot of what's going on at the moment. Um, those are the kind of title leaders. But generally speaking, everything is everyone's trying to control everything, um, monopolize everything be it at a at a website level like the likes of twitch and um YouTube twitch on hold on to their advantage and so on, but getting more corporate now you can see uh you can't ad block their ads anymore, which I think is a good thing even though it's an annoyance because it, the thing needs to make money for the for the uh better of everyone else as well whether they realize it or not um but yeah. You still got people trying to monopolize and so on. It's the usual stuff. But I'd say it's getting more more corporate in some ways, more professional in others. Um and yeah, it's interesting. Uh, some people are some of the devs are trying to like launch eSport titles, which we've seen before with the likes of like shoot mania and so on, which doesn't always work. So we're um there's a there's a lot to I like, you know, once things return to some level of normalcy, there's a lot to to observe to see how things develop or don't develop in the next few years yeah i mean
0: the the amounts of money that that are involved uh anyone even outside of esports it'll, it'll make them sit up and and take note when you're talking about prize funds and the deals that go through and things like this but as as someone that, that obviously focuses on the the fan experience as well do you do you feel like things are drawing more towards a focus on money and, and perhaps moving away from what it is to to be an esports fan and experience the events and things like that but are are people still managing to find a balance do you think
1: i think that's um that's, that's actually really key i don't think it's something you can overlook the fan experience it is um very very important especially at live events how you how you engage fans um is very very key for example if you look at previous activations that people would do for sponsors and so on, it would be like, just very simply, maybe you get some banners at a live event and so on. Um, and you get your, uh, you get your logo on a HUD and your adverts, if you've paid for those and things like that. But there are more engaging ways to there. Well, there are better ways to engage fans than just having logos up and so on. So, like we can see what ESL do with DHL as an example, um, where they've got different things going on at live events and so on. So I, I would say that um fan experience is becoming better because those 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 things are interesting for the fans as well, rather than just like here as an advert for a car, it's like a some a more in way a more engaging way to to kind of raise awareness about your brand's um and uh, the fans the fans are the key to all of it really i think one reason you see so much money sloshing around and these eye watering like 20 million dollar things coming in is because a lot of uh, a lot of orgs have been picked up by sports teams and one of the one of the most attractive things in terms of investment about esports is the fact that if you take pro wrestling for example their demos from 18 to 41 are are terrible most of their viewers are in the 55 um age mark and if you look at traditional sports they um all their all their viewers are aging basically they're not capturing new fans as much as their their fans are getting older slash dying so every like american football european football, maybe to a lesser degree, but you know baseball so on all these all these like american especially um organizations with big money need to find a way to capture younger viewers, which is why you see all these teams getting bought by sports teams. Even um, there's a team owned by Copenhagen. North is open owned by Copenhagen, and they play in their stadium. Um, their practice rooms look out onto the pitch and so on. So a lot of these these things are... And that's a drop in the, a drop in the ocean for these te- some of these teams, or a lot of these teams. Um, I've been to, for example, the complexity... Um, facility at the Dallas Cowboys, basically purpose-built village, which is just crazy. Um, so, yeah, there's a there's a, a lot of money and a lot, a lot of reason to try and capture these younger fans. So the fans are are the the core of this. So I think their experience will be better. I think if you look back to, uh, and especially when I said um, things are getting more professional, if I go back to older older events, um, like the like, the early years of, like, a DreamHack Valencia, for example, you would have a few stands with, like, some some gaming products, this and that, but I think, um, I mean, that was that was an older time as well where there's more resources available and better thinking around things. So rather than, like, here's a store where you can buy some accessories, there's um, a lot more that the fans get to do now. Like, we had um, one ECS, we had a barbershop, what I wanted to do was, well, I wanted to, I wanted to have a barbershop in the, in the event somehow because I think it would be fun for fans when there's, when there's no games on that you could get your head cut by a pro or something like that. But we implemented it on stage instead. But that's an example of um, doing okay. something to, you know, for, for, the, for the fans to improve their experience. So I think it, it, it's, always, it's always center of the experience to fans. And they're very important for the live events to create the atmosphere as well.
0: Do you th- do you think maybe with traditional sports? I mean, just saying that, like getting your hair cut by someone at an esports event, is it feels beyond the realms of possibility for any other, like a, a soccer match or a, an American football match. You said or something like that. Do you feel because esports is is still, I mean, I know it's it's not new by any means, but in comparison to those kind of sports, it's it's still a baby, obviously. Do you think that's it's using that to its advantage and and trying these new things, trying crazy things out that that really add value to the the viewing experience and what it is to attend an event and things like that
1: I think there are parallels with sports, but not everything is the same or needs to be, so I think we have advantages that they don't in that we can do we can do these things um like if you look like, I guess basketball might be the best comparison if the, even if there's a timeout or something, you've got people on the field doing some nonsense. It's like an ADHD dream, going to a basketball game, but like at a halftime or a, or a quarter or something, they'll have competitions with people in the crowd where they're trying to shoot a hoop or something to win a prize or or something like that. So people people can do it in different ways. Basketball will very much want to hold your attention a hundred percent of the time and give you something to watch. Um, almost out of fear, it feels like sometimes, but. I think there are some there are some different sports who do something similar uh basketball uh, baseball i guess people just going and just get hammered so it doesn't really matter what's going on um but um i think again we have we have the the demo that everybody wants so i think because we have all those people we can do more aimed at them purely because we have them and other people don't necessarily they've got their dads instead
0: when was it with with esports that you began to to kind of sit up and and notice the the size of the audience or the viewership figures and things like that was there kind of a point in time where you thought like this is really going to take off this is this is going to be huge or has it just kind of bubbled away ever so slightly and just year on year it's just continued to grow
1: i'd say just year on year it's continued to grow and some years some sometimes in esports it feels like three months is a year you know like you've got your dog years and so on i guess like you've got your esports years in terms of development and the the escalation of things it, it, in some cases it felt like just with the things that are going on in the background and the 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 fights for control and battles for contracts and so on so <laughs> i think rather than i think from the outside you can look at viewership numbers but from the inside you've got a uh a lot more knowledge on what is actually going on and what people are trying to achieve as well, which sometimes doesn't quite happen for for good or for bad um so you you just see that you see the growth in in the conversations about what's going on in general, and some of that's re- reflected with the the numbers and when people realize oh this is a a golden goose, and then the fight for that goose, the greed and so on so you see it in different ways.
0: All right, so enough about the the industry in general, I guess. Let's let's focus on you and, and what you do, the, the day-to-day job and stuff like that. I know you said you had an eye for, for production, and I think most people will know you as a, a caster, as you said. You've just been covering Flashpoint and things like that. But firstly, I guess for someone that, that doesn't know what a, an esports caster does, can you just explain that? And then maybe for someone that might be aware, just a little bit more detail into what actually goes into the job and, and how you become a caster what you do day to day is there do you have to watch events when when you're not kind of focusing on it to make sure you're you're up to date with all your information and things like that
1: so a caster is essentially a commentator um it's called caster because of how the role developed in esports through software called shoutcast um, which I don't really need to go into, because essentially it's a commentator. I always refer to myself as a commentator because I feel like it's cool to kind of say, okay, this is what we do and so on, and this is where it came from. But for my purposes, I feel like it's just less confusing to refer to yourself as a commentator. Um, so a uh, commentator is what I am. I'm also a caster, but I would always lead with commentator just because, again, it's just... People know what a commentator is. It doesn't require explan- explanation. So. Um, so I'm a commentator for professional games in Counter-Strike for the most part. I've done other games before, done some Apex, and um, I did do some fighting games as well. Um, out of necessity, some of the events I did in France, they would have nine games on, and uh, I'd be there with enough budget for a hotel and travel. So I'd have to commentate games I had no idea about, which was a which was a that's a skill to learn for sure that was fun um I actually I actually enjoyed that but uh, I felt a bit like Terry Wogan at Eurovision where he's more of an observer um (laughs) that kind of style was very inspiring to me rest in peace Terry Wogan um so yeah commentary is the I suppose the meat and potatoes of of my job so um most of it the lion's share of it comes from Counter-Strike I play a lot of Counter-Strike which I think um I think is important because the more you play the more nuance you'll understand about the game and the more you understand what you're seeing um and from your own personal experience you can draw <coughs> excuse me my uh, you can draw on um on your own knowledge about you know what what you're expecting what the teams are trying to achieve and so on so you definitely I would say people say some people say oh you can commentate a game about having to play it and sure you can but you'll do a better job of it if you know more about the game right so um but fortunately for me i'm in a position where i my passion is my job and counter strike is something i've played for about 20 years and i absolutely love it i spend all my time either well now either flying drones or playing counter strike so i recently passed ten thousand hours played in the game which is uh, a, a cool milestone milestone for me anyway um yeah so the more you play the game that that'll certainly help um you do have to watch other games when you're not working as well i don't watch it all the time it's funny sometimes i'm working on a day and then i'll stream afterwards and I'll say did you see this game from like an, another league which was on i'm like no <laughs> i didn't um but anyway I, I guess like now with the major qualifiers or road to Rio stuff going on it's important to um to be up to speed on what teams might be qualifying for it? Um, I don't think I'll be working this major anyway because ESL. But but regardless of that, um, you need to know what shape people are in and so on. And you can still, I think it's still valuable to you if you watch those games and you're engaging with people on Twitter. Then uh, that's that's positive as well. And I, li- I like to um, make videos about cool plays that individuals or teams did um, in game as well. So it's good to get that kind of content out. Um, but I find it, I find I don't concentrate as much. When I'm watching a game, when as when I'm working on a game, I'm really absorbing everything, but it's odd. I find other people's voices distracting and so on. And even if, I, if I'm not talking about the game, but I'm sitting there watching it in silence, I don't feel like I have the level of concentration that I, I do when I'm working on
0: the game. Just sit there by yourself, maybe, even when you're not casting and, and commentate on it anyway. I might have to, yeah. Um, One of the, the things, just to maybe draw a bit of a comparison to tradi- traditional sports is the like you said you're you're commentating on flashpoint there might be esl or something else going on at the the same time and there then becomes different events later down the line where there might be crossover between teams that competed in those two events so is is it kind of when you're from from a fan perspective is it like a snapshot of of what's happening in that that very event or do you kind of expand back and look at say a six-month window where a certain team has, has played this other team in a head-to-head so many times or whatever it might be? Or do you just kind of look at the the here and now when you're um, analysing a game and, and commentating on it?
1: For every match, I will look at the, uh, the recent history of the teams, how, they perform, how they've performed in the last three months on each map and their head-to-heads. Um, and I'll make notes about it. I started doing it for different reasons because there was a point where you're seeing so much CS that you don't need to make notes because you're like you just know all of it anyway. But um, where you have, if you've got, if you look at football, when there's like a lull in the uh, in the action, then you might have the commentator bring out a statistic or someone's age or something, or you know, just some kind of interesting tidbit to fill the void while not much is actually going on on the field. And I felt like if you've got a timeout or something or people are standing behind smokes um, for one minute, which is a hell of a long time, um, it can help kind of fill space in in those scenarios. So I started doing the, you know, I'd, I'd list out every player, how old they are, um, and little, little statistics, anything that was interesting. But on an overall team level, I would look at the head-to-head Form is very important um, when you're considering like making predictions and so on, but also what level of opponent they've been playing and what information you can glean from that if it's like a tier 2 or 3 opponent versus a tier 1 or 2 opponent. And, okay, these guys have been winning, but at this level, we're now stepping up and stuff. So it's also part of the narrative um, which you tell overall during the game. Like, these guys are not expected to do this well and so on like that. So you can really... The more information you research, the better story you can tell over the course of the events.
0: Yeah, I think that maybe goes into one of the styles of, of commentating or casting and like spinning that narrative and there there might be people that are perhaps a little bit more direct and explosive. Where where do you sit on, on kind of the the spectrum of casters? Is it you obviously seem very relaxed now and calm, but are you a lot more kind of energetic when you're casting or do you take that approach of just analyzing letting people know what you see and things like that
1: i would say um uh, i have a lot more or have a lot of energy in general on the broadcast um definitely need my co-commentator too as well so um we can bounce off each other and you be on the same on the same page otherwise it doesn't really work um yeah i would say one of the one of the best things you can do is build expectation for the viewer in in what's going on if you can if you can read the game and say okay they're likely to do this and this is likely to be a flashpoint where it'll determine how this round is likely to go and so on and then if you can build that expectation so they can expect that and then just kind of discover it on their own little journey at home that's uh really really exciting so i'll say that i'll pick up a lot of detail that other people won't necessarily I'm a I'm a geek for the game. I know most of the grenades and so on, so I can read um what's going on quite well or what's what's what people are trying to achieve anyway. Whether they achieve that or not is a, is the story we get to tell. But um yeah, I'd say I'm definitely one of the more energetic ones. I like to have fun. Um and again when when the when, when the stakes are higher, the uh, the commentary will fit it as well.
0: And we talked about the the industry and, and your job as a caster, commentator, call it what you like obviously pinnacle is a a bookmaker we're we're known for our esports betting offering as well are you are you involved in betting do you enjoy a bet i did
1: until valve came out and said that we're not allowed to um bet on the games which is fair i don't have a problem with that it kind of sucks though because we just did it for fun um it was just it was interesting because you could um use your skins in the game you could put them on the line. So any, anything I didn't want, like the junk stuff, I would just put. It was just a way to get rid of them, and it was uh, it was fun, and it would give you more investment into the into the games themselves as well, which which gave you the mental stimulation to like study more, like obscure teams and so on. Um, but no, we 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 are not allowed to because you know we could be in positions of privileged information, and and for sure a lot of us, we pretty much all are, to be honest, um, because there might be that, let's say a team has to use a sub for some reason and we're not going to announce it until this time for the, you know, for whatever, for whatever purpose. So that's all fine outside of that. I play poker, but yeah, that was, uh, that was most. I was going to
0: say quite the, 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 the bookmakers that we've spoken to have, have highlighted things like the, the substitute or, or whatever it might be and waiting for that to become common knowledge. And you can, you can quickly tell within the market. Um, from just on the betting side though when you when you were i know you said it was for for a bit of fun is there is that a side of the industry that you've seen develop as well or is is your sole focus kind of on the the broadcast side of things and the the fan experience and things like that
1: well i'm I'm interested in the in the odds and so on i think it's it's interesting like when, whenever the pinnacle odds come up I, I like to if I'm the one talking at a time um then I like to engage those because it's like okay i've we've got the opinions of the people on the desk and who they think is going to win we've got my opinion my co-commentator's opinion but then we've got pinnacle's opinion but but that's super interesting to me because it's like you know they they don't want to get their back broken on on giving um juicy odds but at the same time they want people to, to actually they want to encourage people so it's like okay this is where they found themselves why do we think they've they've uh it's like okay we, they've got this guy as a firm favorite um that's pretty interesting like especially if i if i went a different way then that they're not it's it, it creates some very interesting talking points i think if there are people who are interested in um having a flutter at home then that's an interesting conversation as well especially when you have in running um betting so i, f- I find that stuff super interesting so it's another talking point from a <clears throat> from a different perspective um which is great for me so I I love that stuff
0: and is it is there kind of although you're not actually betting on the game obviously when you're thinking about how to analyze it and maybe what's going into a game beforehand I mean I know you you're not going to say oh I think this person's going to win but is there is there similarities in how you break down a match from a a casting perspective versus how you might do so from a from a betting perspective
1: I think Betting perspective is before the game, for the most part. Um, although you and and casting perspective, I think, is a bit different because, well, there there are stories which can go through both. For example, if if you're looking at like per map um, odds, and we're saying, okay, well, you know, this player is a is a big problem in this position, and his opposite on the other side is going to have to be able to shut him down. Let's say a team are playing MiBR and they like B pushes on Mirage, but Taiko's is really good on Mirage. So how are they going to solve that problem if if they can't? Maybe Tycho wins this this map for for MiBR by defending the B bomb site on the CT side. So you you could set up stories in that sense where the horns are going to clash and see how they play out in in the casting and see how the odds update as Pinnacle uh, lose faith in one team or or gain faith in the, in the other team or whatever. So. I think there are stories that go through in that sense, but when you're commentating the actual game, those are those are just some of the threads, but there's plenty more and maybe surprises as well, where it's more, you're looking in the vacuum of that game for the most part and seeing where the tussles are, who's winning and who's adapting and so on. So there are some similarities, but then I think when, you're, when you get into commentating the game, there's a lot more to add to it as well.
0: And then kind of generally speaking, how do you, I mean, Pinnacle's one example you mentioned there with with Flashpoint, whether the odds come on the screen and it gives you like a percentage figure of of what the bookmaker essentially thinks will happen in the game. It's we also see a lot of team sponsors and and betting companies on jerseys and things like that. It feels very edging towards a, a traditional sports kind of setup as well. What's your your thoughts around that? Is that something that's good for the industry? Do you think more money, more investment, and things Absolutely. like that?
1: Absolutely, I think it's um, I think it's good because. Especially with this kind of game, uh, a tactical shooter, basically, I think for some um, for some organisations, it's a bit risque to to put their names in this kind of um, space. But the more it's normalised, because it should be, we're all adults, um, well, most of us, um, so it should be it should be normalised. There isn't like because you got those spooks, especially in America, who are like, oh my god. You know, what if children are going to go out and do these things in real life and all this kind of stupid nonsense? Um, so people don't really want to go up against those idiots. But the more you've got other brands um, coming in, the more it normalizes everything, and they have less of a voice, basically. So for like the for the, for the long term, because like really, I think Counter Strike should be the biggest eSport in the world by every measure. I think it's the best game um spectator wise and so on but it's just uh the nature of the game which you have um you know because of the climate in countries like america and and what happens there which isn't related to the game um to effectively simulate that in the eyes of some people is is a problem so the more the more brands we have coming into the space and making it normal as as they are in spaces like sports and so on then uh the closer we get to to that dream, where that isn't an issue anymore, and people can see it for like the skill of the game as opposed to just there are guns.
0: Yeah, and I think we're slowly we are edging towards that kind of realization. But one of the one of the things I've I've asked a few people on the podcast is that, and this is me personally speaking, it almost feels like this umbrella term of of esports might be a hindrance in some ways. We know that the likes of csgo in in the west and league of legends and dota 2 in the east are kind of top three sports by by quite some way but at what point do you feel like csgo should be regarded as just csgo and not not a another esports it should be something that competes alongside the likes of tennis baseball whatever it might be and i guess what do you think it needs to to happen to help it do that
1: i think that's just a question of scale really you know, tennis, football, they're still sports. It's funny because in America you'll meet some people and uh, they're like I like sports, which is something people just don't say in different countries. <laughs> they're like football or they'll like tennis or something. But you've got guys who are just sports guys in America, which is kind of hilarious. What are you into? I'm into sports. That's cool, man. <laughs> um so I, I don't think I don't think the umbrella name is uh is a big issue. I think the the bigger things get in terms of scale and the more they'll stand out on their own there's still a lot a lot of people um i when I say scale i mean like awareness for example there's still a lot of people who um have no idea that all this gaming stuff is a is a thing like where people where i'd hop into an uber to our location for flashpoint one people would be like oh what's going on down here and i'd explain it be like oh i had no idea this stuff uh this stuff existed uh, or they'll be like, Oh yeah, my son plays Call of Duty on the next box. Um so it's like in th- the bigger the scale gets, the more awareness there is, um, the more recognition there will be. Because I think it is interesting to to uh non endemics, when we were doing events in Wembley, the security guys would always be uh, super interested in the game, but they'd get a bit confused at half time. But apart from that, they would uh, they would understand the game and enjoy it. I think uh, so, but I think we've got a lot more to do like those guys don't have anywhere to be so they kind of have to watch the game I think if people are home some people have a choice to f- change the channel then they will those people who, who are not really exposed or understand the thing so I think um, once I think there are still heights to get to where those kind of people are like oh well, well let's see what this is about then and we'll give it 10 minutes and then um We'll see where it goes from there so I don't, I don't think that's a big issue for counter-strike i think it still has to uh still has dizzying heights to get to whereas exposure will do the job for it
0: well and that that brings us on to i guess the the future of esports and and what what has to happen and you mentioned there i guess it's like the the level of access or the the barriers of entry for someone that that wants to play the games or someone that just wants to understand the the game so is that down to like the broadcast, the experience there to to educate people once they're in the door, or does more need to be done to to pique people's interest and make them think, oh, I'm actually going to switch on Twitch and watch Flashpoint to to see what it's all about? How how does that kind of new age audience get into it?
1: I think the current climate is actually pretty interesting for that because you have got basically the lowest barrier of entry for those people. Like if you're a NASCAR guy, or a Formula One guy or girl, then you can watch those people play the the simulator now. And that won't be interesting to some, but it will be interesting to some to see, oh, let's see how they compete. This will be fun. Might Maybe if they're fans of drivers themselves, they'll get to see their personality and so on. So I think the current situation is is a door into these places. If you look at um, N- NBA on TNT... Um, people that I could, I could call colleagues once upon a time like, uh, Shaquille O'Neal and, uh, EJ and Charles Barkley and those guys, their personalities are so important to why that show is so popular. Um, but now we're going to have basketball players playing in a tournament against each other, which is going to be super interesting, interesting for people. So I think you've always had, you know, celebrities play video games. Um, but not necessarily like this with the current climate where there's esports and so on and we've had we've had um we did a show the, for, before the e-league stuff started we did a road to vegas show and we did a show at CES um where we had those guys on one desk and I was the host on the other desk with Richard and Thorin and we had a back and forth of them so they're, they're very aware of what esports is Shaq was invested in NRG um so a lot of these, a lot of these guys a lot of these people and like musicians and so on are invested into esports teams now so there's a lot of awareness there but now some of these guys are going to be playing in esports themselves because their usual stuff is not available so i think for their audiences this uh this this does open a door to them and and depending on what they do like if if um if Turner do something with it they're still doing um e-league stuff they haven't done csgo in a while but they have uh, they're still doing a myriad of different games and they tried a lot of different things with Counter-Strike like live Counter-Strike um pre-packaged stuff just different ways to serve the information to the audience to see what would stick um we did um one season where we went to we spent a day or two in a voice recording studio um in Los Angeles afterwards like remotely with them where we were Helping package things up in in the way they wanted to to do it for that particular season, but you know they have all this information, and now if they're going to use basketball players, I don't know who's going to do it, but if it was them, for example, then they they have, um, I mean, this is they used to advertise e league during basketball games, and so on. So this is another way they can say, oh, you know, if, if you find it this interesting, we've got all these things going on as well, and ESPN are no stranger to esports. Um, so they can potentially do the same so i think that like right now with uh all the uh all the virus stuff going on it does actually create a lot of a lot of opportunity for the uh for the people we haven't converted yet to join a church of esports
0: and do you think there's now enough being done that that when say the nba does return or nascar does return on a sunday that on the the friday saturday monday whenever it might be that 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 person now watching the the real life nascar shall we say is still intrigued to to flick back to to twitch or espn and watch the the nascar version with like lower level drivers involved
1: well if that still exists but it might encourage them to get the game and do it themselves and you know it can it can create different different paths into into esports or maybe they have children and now they understand what they're raving on about what they're playing in their bedrooms or what they're watching on twitch maybe they'll watch it with them there's there's like 10 different ways it could it could go afterwards so it could be any of the any of the above and that would be great
0: well there's there's so much to talk about in the industry we haven't we haven't talked a great deal about about you individually, but from the sounds of it, you're a, you're an esports commentating, poker playing, drone flying individual. What what the what are the future? What does the future have in store for you? Are you are you carrying on with the the casting stuff? Do you want to do you want to take any of those other interests more seriously?
1: Um, I just have a lot of hobbies, and I think with travel, I get an opportunity to do more of them, like scuba diving as well, and so on. So. I did consider learning to fly a plane for a while, but I don't think I should be in charge of a plane, to be honest. <laughs> um, the drones will be start, fine. Yeah, start with the drone and, and work your way up. Yeah, so um, maybe some, some different games on the sides, which would be interesting. We had some fun stuff lined up. Um, well, lots of stuff I can't talk about. Some of it was uh, the COVID stuff kind of screwed it up. Um, but there are other opportunities which have come out from that as well. So you have to watch the space. Lots that I can't talk about. But it's good that there's lots because that isn't the case for for everybody necessarily. So I think we're in a fortunate position there.
0: And if you if you wanted to to get someone to join the the Church of Esport, as you put it, as kind of a a concluding remark, what would you say to someone listening to this that, that hasn't been involved in in any great deal at the moment, but you've got 30 seconds a minute to to convince them to to join the church of esports what would you say i say
1: watched the the grand finals of um of the e-league major in boston cloud nine versus phase clan i think that it's uh there's a lot of storylines I, f- I think that was a perfect game i think there was a lot of storylines going into that game which paid off there were storylines for both sides um There was joy and there was anguish and uh, the crowd were going absolutely crazy. So I think with that game and the individual performances we saw, um, that'll tell you a lot about what esports is.
0: Well, James, it's been great speaking to you. I've I've certainly learned a lot about esports. I I hope our listeners have as well. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on and thanks a lot. Thank you very much. And if you do want to find out more about esports, then follow at Pinnacle Esports on Twitter. All the latest esports odds are now live on Pinnacle.com and you'll also find hundreds of useful articles in the esports-specific section of the website. Thanks for listening and bye for now.